ahead. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at the first 14 verses this morning. The text is printed in the bulletin, or you can follow along in one of the Bibles, uh, either that you brought or we have there on the back table. Uh, there's also some little things for kids to color on uh, related roughly to the sermon this morning there on the back table. Um, and also on the back table, let me remind you, I forgot to say this during the announcements earlier, that um, today is Mercy Sunday. It didn't show up in the bulletin, but uh, usually we do a couple things on Mercy Sundays. The first Sunday of the month, we focus particularly on ministries of mercy, compassion, justice um, uh, in our community and maybe broader than our community. But um, one of the things that we've been doing is taking a, a special collection during communion time, almsgiving. So alms means mercy. Um, that's where that word comes from. And so uh, during communion, as you come forward or as you are able, um, it's kind of time for us to give uh, above and beyond our regular budget and our regular giving um, to meet the needs of those uh, in the community as they arise. So uh, don't forget about that. So uh, Colossians 1, we're starting a new series, and um, kind of the basic question for the series, the question I'll pose to you now, which uh, maybe you can think about, is uh, how do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow as a Christian? It's um, an especially relevant question for us to ask uh, as a young church. How do we grow as a church? Not necessarily numerically, but how do we grow, how do we mature in uh, the faith and our walk with God? How do we grow as Christians together, uh, especially relevant for um, those of us who are maybe new believers or um, those of us who are just young, uh, growing up in the church, young people, uh, children? Um, how do you grow as a Christian? And so, children, uh, I'll ask you a question other than the one I just asked you about how you grow as a Christian. <laughs> uh, think about that. But uh, children, what... What do we learn about in church? What do we learn about um, when we come here on Sunday mornings? What do we come to learn? What do we learn about, and what do we learn about in Sunday school? That should give you a better tip to what the answer might be. Uh, what do we learn about in church? Anybody? Anybody? Jesus. Thanks. Thank you, my son. <laughs> Jesus, right? God, right? Uh, that's, I mean, I know you know that, and you're just embarrassed to... What, what do you think? Jesus is God. Yeah, that's right. That's what we come... Yeah. So, um, we come to learn about Jesus. We come to learn about who God is, uh, who he is, particularly as he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. We come to learn about the gospel right? Uh, we do not come. That answer shows you. We do not come to church primarily to learn about the things we should do and should not do, right? We don't come to church primarily to talk about our behavior. Uh, those are fruits of the gospel working in our lives, but we come primarily and first and foremost to learn about Jesus, to learn about the gospel. So maybe by now, um, over the years that you may have been with us in this church, or maybe you're new with with us, but um, maybe if, uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that we, we don't start out in the Christian faith in one way and then make progress through the Christian life in an entirely different way, right? Um, so when you ask the question, how do you grow as a Christian, it's the same 
answer is, how do you become a Christian? Uh, It's all about the gospel. It's all about who God is. It's all about what he's done for us in Christ. And um, so the gospel, as someone has said, is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z of the Christian faith uh, and the Christian life. So that's what Paul's letter to the Colossians is about. Um, And hopefully, as we study it over the next few months, uh, we'll be in Colossians up until Advent, until like Christmas season. Um, Hopefully, we won't just focus on that as a mechanism. We won't just say we grow as we grow in faith in the gospel. Uh, Hopefully, we'll actually grow together, right? Hopefully, the gospel will actually transform us in ways that bear fruit increasingly uh, among us as a church. So a little bit of background to uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossi, I think that's probably how you pronounce it, Colossi, was a pretty insignificant city in Asia Minor, which is now kind of modern-day uh, Turkey. It's just on the, the border of, um, between Europe and Asia. Uh, saw a little show last night about Istanbul, which was Constantinople. <laughs> um, now it's Istanbul, right? Uh, <clears throat> Which, which straddles the, the strait there. I'm not even sure what is that, the Black Sea or something. But um, one, one part of Istanbul, which is in Turkey, is in Europe, and the other part is in Asia. So it's, it really is the, the border between Europe and Asia. It was, um, uh, that area was uh, particularly important for trade, but Colossi was not that important for trade. Um, Colossi had before, previously had, a prominent wool industry, but uh, that disappeared by the time the Apostle Paul uh, was in the area. And uh, <clears throat> so you could imagine, uh, just imagine Hillsboro if Intel left. Right? Imagine Hillsboro if Intel left. Insignificant, dwindling, right? Um, empty. Why would people be here, really? Um, so. We gather from the letter of Colossians, uh, to, the, to the Colossians from Paul that Paul actually didn't plant the church here. He had not visited the church before he wrote this letter. Uh, Epaphras is the name of the fellow who planted it. And probably uh, pa- Epaphras was, um, was in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles away from Colossae. Ephesus is a prominent city uh, throughout the New Testament, but in that ancient uh, Roman world, Ephesus was very prominent. And Paul went there for a couple of years, and he was preaching the gospel regularly. And, um, and probably it was there that Epaphras heard the gospel, was converted, grew in the faith, and then was maybe even sent by Paul back to his hometown, Colossae, to plant the church there. Um, Colossae receives no attention in... Um, John's Revelation, you know, the book of Revelation is at the end of the Bible, and how in, uh, in the first few chapters there's these seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, which is right there, and Colossae is right in the middle of all these towns. It doesn't get a letter. It doesn't get mentioned um, when John's writing to the churches in that area. And, and after a while, um, it, it fell into decay, and nobody lived there anymore, right? It may be that an earthquake kind of uh, leveled it, made it unlivable, but... Um, fell into decay, and it has not yet been excavated. Everybody knows where it is. It's just sitting there. Nobody cares about it, right? Apparently, Colossae is, doesn't register on archaeologists' radar. Um, so it's insignificant, right? Insignificant, even today. And that seems pretty encouraging to me that such an insignificant church as that 
would, uh, would be the recipient of such a marvelous letter from Paul. It really is, it's a remarkable letter that Paul writes. Um, I'm looking forward to getting into it with you, but uh, it's encouraging that churches like that in cities like that matter, right? Uh, we might not be at the center of attention in some big metropolis, um, but God cares for us, and God delights in us. God delights in churches like ours, and, um, and that's encouraging to take away from this epistle. But Epaphras, after getting the church started, uh, we're not quite sure when this letter was written, how, how long the church had existed there, but it, by all indications, seems like it's kind of a young church. Um, after getting the church started, he went back to Paul, and Paul was in prison, um, he went back to Paul with a report on the church, which is the occasion for Paul's letter. Paul was in prison. He was either, uh, it doesn't really matter where he was. If it mattered, he would have told us in, in the letter. It, it, if it mattered, scholars would agree that we would have uh, clarity on it. But he was probably in either Ephesus, which was 100 miles away, or Rome, which was like 1,200 miles away. Um, but Epaphras went there. Paul was unable to visit, right? He was in prison. Um, but he expressed his desire to visit, especially in the related letter, which is uh, the letter to Philemon, which actually in, uh, at the end of the series, the very last sermon that I've got planned will be on Philemon. Um, and the letters to the Colossians and to Philemon, who lived in Colossae, uh, were carried at the same time. Paul sent Onesimus, this runaway slave, back to Philemon, and he also sent his uh, co-worker Tychicus with him. Um, with these letters. So Paul's concern and the occasion of his writing was for the growth of a new church. It's for the growth of the Colossians as a church. Um, primarily, his concern was for their deepening in the gospel of grace and the application of that gospel uh, through faith to their lives and to their relationships. So um, that's what we'll talk about over the series. Let me pray now. That was enough of an introduction to uh, give you some sense of what's going on in our text. Um, let me pray, and then we'll read Colossians 1, uh, 1 to 14. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, not just the information that's contained in it, the data, and not just for the wisdom that can be gained by trying to apply your word. We thank you for the relationship with you that we can have through your word. That you have sent your word into the world. You've sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And you have equipped through your Holy Spirit the prophets and apostles to write about him, to, to reveal to us your care for us. And so as we come to your word this morning, hoping that uh, it will apply to us, um, not just as individuals, but as a church, that you would make it real to us, that you would uh, use your spirit in our hearts to, to change our hearts and to renew our minds as we uh, come now to the reading and preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, 
which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, you may have heard this analogy before. Uh, How does an athlete get better at his sport. You, you especially hear stories of this when you're talking about professional athletes, right? How does an athlete improve? How does an athlete stay at the top of his game or her game? Um, how does an athlete improve in his sport? Uh, pro basketball players shoot like 2,000 free throws a day, right? They line up and they shoot the same shot. Like, seriously, I, I don't know. Maybe that's an exaggeration. 2,000 times. I don't know. But um, pro golf players, they get coached over and over again on their grip and on their posture, right? Uh, Pro sprinters, which is what I aspired to be at one point, (laughs) spend hours each week just practicing their start, right? A gun goes off, explode out of the blocks, just trying to hone that skill. It's a basic skill. It's starting a race, right? Um, What is that? That's that's the basics, right? Practice the basics. You want to get better in your sport, grow in your ability to, to perform, in a sense, that the basics, it's the fundamentals. Um, you can never get away from them. If you forget them, if you leave them behind, then you get worse, not better, right? Your ability um, <clears throat> deteriorates. Now, you've heard that analogy probably, but the analogy between that and the Christian life, it breaks down in a few spots. Um, first, because athletes do those things repetitively. They shoot so many free throws repetitively so that, that when it comes to game time, when it comes to performance time, they do it without thinking. And as a Christian, you can never live the Christian life without thinking. You focus on the basics in order to keep your focus on the basics, right? To practice returning to the basics. Uh, with your mind. And it breaks down in another way that the basics um, in athletics, they're done by the athlete to improve in the sport. Uh, they're things that the athlete does, right? They're activities that the athlete engages in repetitively, constantly. And um, in the Christian life, the basics, the gospel, is not something that you do, right? It's something that you remember. It's something that you believe in. It's something once for all completed by someone other than you, uh, someone other than the Christian who is returning to the basics. And it's less a matter of practicing something, right? practicing some behavior. It's more a matter of rehearsing something, remembering 
recounting, deepening in. Um, so the gospel isn't something that the Christian does, right? Talk about what the gospel is, but it's not something the Christian does, it's something the Christian believes. The Christian religion isn't primarily about, as we've said earlier, the Christian's behavior. Uh, it's about the content of the Christian faith. It's about the gospel. And we talk about the gospel a lot in this church, I think, um, which means maybe it's easy for us to, get, uh, to forget kind of what the content of it is, which is what, exactly what I'm advocating we don't do. We must uh, hold on to the content of the gospel and keep it before ourselves uh, regularly. Um, so what is the gospel? The word itself... You're probably familiar with the fact that the word gospel means good news, right? Uh, which, that in itself sets it apart from a lot of other religions, from, from the message of a lot of other religions, right? It is not too often that you hear things like, good news, there's this thing called karma. Or good news, Muhammad said to do this or that. Or good news, if you just try a little harder. Or uh, maybe more prevalent in our culture, good news. Nothing matters. There's no meaning in life. Um, when you hear good news, it's something that cheers you up, right? It's something that is supposed to cheer you up. That's why it's good. And the more that you grow in your understanding of the gospel, the more deeply and unshakably joyful you become, right? Because that's the effect that the gospel should have in our lives is joy. It's cheer. It's, it's a positive effect, right? It's not something that should beat us down um, because the gospel is the truth about who God is and about what he has done for us in Christ, which is positively amazing, right? We've just come off a series on the Trinity this summer, uh, looking more closely at how great our God is because he is triune, because the foundation of all being and reality is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoying eternal, perfect, joyful, loving communion forever, right? Um, because of who God is, we are, uh, we are made, and we're made for joy, and we're made for love, and that's good news, right? Who God is. That's good news, which we've looked at this uh, summer. And it, it, it's good news that God is who he is and that being who he is, he has done what he has done. Right? In sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners for our salvation, which is um, kind of the focal point of the good news. When you talk about the gospel, you talk about Jesus. Right? Um, Jesus, who he is, fully divine. He's the second person of the Trinity, also fully human in a way that we can't even imagine because he never sinned. He, he was always doing his father's will, perfectly obeyed the law of God in every way, never slipping up in that. Um, he lived the life that all of us are called to live, that life of communion, that life of obedience toward God. Right? He lived that life for us and he died the death that he died on the cross for us, because we deserve that death. We deserve the shame. We deserve the rejection of God for who we are uh, being sinners who deserve his wrath. Jesus Christ not only died, but he was raised from the dead for us, right? 
And now we can sing, Jesus lives, and so shall I. Because of what he has done for us, because of his resurrection, we have the promise of eternal life. And now Jesus is in heaven. He has ascended there, where he rules over all things for our good. For our good. He has promised to return again to fix us and to fix the whole world forever, which is what we read about in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, All those animals who are usually at each other's throats, literally. Uh, The children who are playing as infants over the the adder's den. Um, The whole world will be restored to peace. There will only be peace and love and unity and joy. No more hurt. No more destruction, no more threat, no more fear, no more regret. Um, All because Jesus is going to return again someday to set it all right. Everything that we've broken through our rebellion, Jesus is going to fix. And until then, even though we don't see that now, until then, he dwells in our hearts through his spirit who he has given to us. the, The very spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of love, the spirit of holiness has been given to us because Jesus Christ came into the world, he gave himself for us, and God is for us. All three persons of the Trinity are for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So that's the good news that we're talking about when we use the word gospel. God for us is basically it, right? We don't deserve it. We could barely even begin to fathom it, all the goodness of it, Um, but God is for us person and work of Christ for us, the love of the Father for us, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit for us, all by grace. And so those are the essential truths of the Word of God. They're the essential truths of all the Scriptures. It's what everything points to in the Bible. It's the chief thing that God wants to communicate to people like us. The chief thing that God wants you to know why you have a Bible in front of you is that He is for you, which is proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in Jesus Christ given for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? Familiar words. And that's what Paul was sent by Christ to proclaim to all the nations. It says in that first verse, Paul an apostle, which means Paul a sent one. He was commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he didn't make up his message. He didn't make up the good news that he was sharing with people. God willed it And Jesus entrusted it to Paul, and the Holy Spirit enabled him to preach it. And this message, which is called in the text, the word of truth, the gospel, it had already taken root in Colossae. They'd already heard of it. He says that. You heard this before. I tell you again, right? The gospel had already formed a church. The gospel, the good news, was bearing fruit there in that city as as it was throughout the whole world, which is a bit hyperbolic. But in a sense, um, uh, Paul's own mission to the world, to, to the Gentiles, taking the gospel out of just Israel and moving it west, uh, even as far as Rome, um, is, is the triumph of the gospel in the whole world, right? Symbolically, uh, representatively, in Paul's own mission. People were trusting in Christ in Colossae. People were delighting in God. They were delighting in their salvation. Lives were being transformed by the good news, so Paul expressed thanksgiving. He expressed his gratitude and his praise to God. He didn't congratulate the Colossians. Hey, great start you've got there in the church. Good job, everybody, right? Um, Keep up the good work. 
He's, he recognized these three things, which appear, this triad appears in a lot of his writings. He recognized their faith, hope, and love. Um, and he recognized those things as arising from God through the gospel that had been preached to them through, by Epaphras, right? The grace of God in truth. He says in verses 3 through 5, <clears throat> We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So, they had heard about Jesus Christ. They had a response of faith. They not only intellectually believed the report about Jesus, they placed their personal trust in Jesus. And their faith proved itself through their love for one another. Right? Um, not just love for those with whom they had natural affinities, right? but their love, it says, for all the saints, um, which is a miracle of God's work in our hearts when we have love for all the saints. That is not natural for us. These things... Uh, both of them, faith and love, are miracles, which is why Paul gives God the credit in his thanksgiving. Um, by nature, we are opposed to faith in Christ. Um, the essence of our sin is rebellion against the one who is over us, our God and our King, the one who made us. So by nature, we're opposed to having Christ the King as our King, um, needing a Savior. And... Um, and true self-giving love for people who are different from us is impossible. It's just impossible for people like us. But God brings these things about in us because, Paul says, of the hope laid up for us in heaven, which we hear about in the gospel. Right. So here, um, the apostle isn't using the word hope to describe some activity of ours, like when you hope that you can leave work early this week to go fishing or something like, you know. Um, that's your hoping, that's your activity, right? That's not the way Paul's using the word hope here. He's using it as um, uh, to describe the thing that we're latching on to, right? Your hope is the fishing part, <laughs> right? Uh, the object of your hope is the fishing. Uh, <clears throat> so Paul's using the word hope there the, the thing we latch on to, the content of our longing, the content of our expectation, the content of our hope, right? Um, so our hope, he says, according to the gospel, what we've heard in the gospel is everlasting communion with God. I mean, if you think about that, that's pretty incredible. And the fact that it's assured to you beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's your hope. That's your sure hope. Um, your, your place is at the Father's side because that's where Jesus is for you. Your home is in heaven because of who Christ is and what he's done for you. That's your hope. Right? And it's this hope that is assured to us, it's guaranteed to us in the word of truth, the gospel, the word of God's grace. And because of it, we believe. And because of it, we love. Um, so the gospel makes us new people. 
The gospel makes us new people in our faith and in our love. The good news of our sure hope because of Christ transforms our lives. It bears fruit in us. It bears fruit through us as it multiplies and spreads in the world. We grow, we mature because of this gospel, because of the confession of our faith. Um, Paul thanks God for what he already hears about the Colossians, how God has changed their hearts, their lives already through the word of truth. Do you think anybody's heard of our faith? Do you think anybody's heard of our love because of the way the gospel's been at work in us? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Do you think it's true? Um, I'll be giving a report at Presbytery in a few weeks, which is the <clears throat> uh, couple times a year the elders and pastors from churches in our area gather uh, for we give reports to one another we ask for prayer we do some business that affects the churches um, but in my report I'll tell my fellow ministers and elders that our faith is showing itself through love in things like providing um, school supplies and food for local public school kids who don't have enough right. I'll tell them that um, at the Presbytery, that our two ruling elders are faithful and humble men whose every prayer and word and effort in the church is to hold the gospel before you in humility. I'll tell them that there seems to be a widespread impulse toward unity and where unity needs to be restored toward the restoration of that unity. I'll tell them that our kids um, remarkably love coming to church that they can't wait for Sunday school to start again. What kind of crazy kids are those? <laughs> um, but these are matters for Thanksgiving, that the gospel has borne fruits like these among us already. And that's a great start. <clears throat> but we're a young church, right? and we're here to press on toward maturity, right? And the apostle says that we do that in exactly the same way we began. Exactly the same way. He moves from his thanksgiving to what the gospel has already done to a prayer for what the gospel will continue to do, right? That God would use his gospel in the life of the church to bear more fruit. It says in verses 9 and 10, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. It doesn't, don't be put to shame by some idea that Paul is ultra-spiritual and just is perpetually in prayer for all the churches that he writes to because he says this to all the churches. I don't cease to pray for you. I'm constantly praying for you. So basically, he probably was praying three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, and then maybe some other times of the day, and he just remembered them regularly, right? That's what that means. Um, but Paul's not ceased to pray for the Colossians, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So the apostle prays for the church's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and he calls it spiritual wisdom. Throw that word out there in our culture, the word spiritual, probably get 99% of people coming back to you say, I'm spiritual. Maybe not religious, maybe not part, part of an organized religion, part of a church, or whatever. I'm a spiritual person. Right? Um, that's a nebulous, generic way to use that word. Spiritual is not the way that Paul is using the word here. It means wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. 
right? Wisdom that pertains to the things of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, it's not, you notice this prayer is not an anti-intellectual prayer for growth, right? God, in spite of the fact that these people don't understand much, uh, would you work a miracle in their lives and just change their behavior? That's not what he's saying. Um, you cannot grow as a Christian without growing in your understanding. You cannot grow as a Christian. You cannot live a Christian life. You cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every way, in every good work. You cannot do those things apart from growing in your wisdom, your, your understanding of the gospel. So Paul is praying that God would mature his people through their minds. As we, um, as we come to understand more deeply what he has already revealed, right? What he's already revealed. And the Spirit of God is the one who reveals the gospel to us. Uh, Paul writes in another place in 1 Corinthians 2, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So if we didn't have the Spirit revealing God's mind, His will, the gospel to us, we would not get it. Um, Peter O'Brien, the commentator on this, says, Apart from the activity of God on our behalf, filling us with true discernment, we would not know as we ought to, nor grasp what Paul has to say in the following sections of the epistle. Right, that's why this prayer comes at the beginning, um, so that they'll even be able to understand what he's about to write to them about the gospel. So while we're uh, advocating the use of our minds, actually it's a necessity, right? We're, we're advocating the, the use of our minds in our growth as Christians. We're also proclaiming the absolute necessity of God's spirit to grant us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in the gospel. And that's why Paul doesn't just write a letter and say, pay close attention to this. He doesn't say, read this, master it, get it through your thick skull, right? Um, and then you'll be good. He prays for the church's ability to understand the gospel in a way that bears fruit in their lives for every good work. Right? Uh, their lives are supposed to change. They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to mature. And prayer is absolutely necessary that the Spirit would uh, grant them the wisdom that they need. And that's why we pray um, every week before the sermon, for example, in the prayer of uh, illumination, as it could be called, uh, that the Spirit would grant us understanding of the gospel. And then <clears throat> Paul gives, goes on to give this benediction. And sorry, we're just screaming through a text which probably deserves five weeks um, of, of sermons on it. But uh, he says this, May you be strengthened. So this is a benediction, right? It's kind of him wishing this for them. Um, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the 
kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the power that he's wishing, that he's blessing uh, the Colossians with the pa- is the power of God himself. It's divine power. It's mighty and glorious power. And that power resides in those who believe the gospel. If you believe the gospel, that power is yours. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the love of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that conquers the grave, it is yours. And it enables you, it enables all of us to endure all trials, um, not just gritting our teeth, but with joy, it says, and with thanksgiving. As we remember the Father who has brought us into his family, who has freed us from the tyranny of sin, who has placed us under the gracious rule of his Son, who has forgiven all of our sins through the redemption that's found in Christ, in his blood, in his sacrifice on the cross. And when we deepen in our understanding of this, our, our appreciation for the good news, God's power, you could face anything in the world, right? Is there anything that God's power can't handle? And that's what Christian maturity is. It's being able to turn more quickly, more fully, to God for help in life uh, because you're more and more sure of his love for you through the gospel. Right? You're more and more aware, you, you believe, you trust more deeply that he cares for you, and that he can help you. And that's the criterion for a healthy growing church. It's our rootedness in the gospel. It's our familiarity with it. It's our rehearsal of it. Um, And that is much more difficult to cultivate than it sounds. Um, Do you believe the gospel? Sure. Is it being preached in the church? Probably, hopefully. Is it changing you? Um, Is it the thing that binds us together when anything else would tear us apart? Is it where you turn when you are suffering? Is it where you turn when you are in conflict? Is it central to your life as individuals and as your life together? When things get hard or confusing, do you pray and ask how the gospel, the message of God's grace, which is proven to you in Christ, do you pray and ask about how that can help? Is is the gospel the thing that you want your children to embrace as they grow up? The one thing, if I can communicate one thing with my whole life to my children, is it the gospel? Does the gospel drive what you say to your children? Does it drive how you say it? Does it drive why you say it? Do we talk about Jesus in Sunday school, or do we just talk about how good little children should behave? Um, Is the gospel the main thing that shapes the advice that you give to other Christians? 
as they're struggling in life, or, or do you just recommend behavior modification? Do you even understand the difference between those things? Um, is it the main thing that drives the ministries that we do? Is the gospel the reason why we sing the songs that we do? Is it the reason why we give on Sunday mornings? Or do these, do we do, just do these things for our personal benefits? Um, do you read the scriptures regularly and seek out other books to keep the gospel in front of yourself constantly? Are you talking about it with your friends? If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to grow as a church, then you need to hear the gospel in a way that bears fruit, and we'll do the best we can around here to keep the gospel in front of you. Uh, that's the point of this series, really. It's the point of every series um, of sermons that we do. But we all need to pray that the Spirit would grant us wisdom and insight, because it is not natural for people like us to gravitate toward the gospel. It's natural for people like us to dwell in the domain of darkness. And we need to be plucked out of it and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved son. And God needs to do that. And the good news is that God is the great pursuer. He's the great lover. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And the good work that he has started in you as, as a church and as, as an individual Christian through the gospel, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news. Um, amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, there are um, so many uh, good things that you have done for us. Daily, we forget, we neglect, we take for granted all the good things that you have done for us, that you've given us, that you direct us to in our lives. And we pray that we would never take for granted the gospel, that you would, by your spirit, keep it in front of us, in the front of our minds and in the center of our hearts, that Jesus Christ living, dying, rising from the dead, and returning again in glory for us would truly be the center of our lives, not just as individuals, but the center of our lives together as a church. And uh, as such, the gospel would bear fruit that we would grow as a church. And we do want to grow uh, numerically. We want you to bring our friends and loved ones uh, and our neighbors and coworkers and just acquaintances to faith, that you would connect them to us in this community uh, of faith. But, but we, we want to deepen in our understanding of the gospel that uh, causes us to walk in your power and in your strength through whatever life has for us with joy and thanksgiving. Teach us to be thankful. Teach us to live for you in a way that pleases you. And so teach us the gospel that ought to shape us at every level and keep it always in front of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.